Podcast. I'm Allison Little, a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur who has built businesses and brands for the past decade. I'm passionate about helping high achievers launch to the next level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Launch Podcast with Allison Little. Today's episode is called Becoming a Leader of Leaders with Holly Mattingly. After a 25-year career at the Coca-Cola Company, Holly's next chapter focused on building the next generation of leaders in the marketplace. As an owner of Coffee House Coaching, Holly is sharing her business acumen, leadership skills, and personal journey with those who are embarking on leadership roles within their companies. During her career at Coca-Cola, Holly led a team of employees with diverse skill sets and deep subject matter expertise focused on creating consumer edge strategy and driving thoughtful productivity. I am so excited to have Holly with us today on the Launch Podcast and really talking about how we as leaders can lead other leaders and really amplify the results that we're getting and how we can lift up other leaders. Hello, Holly, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. Awesome. Uh, So Holly is friends with Preston Poor, who is also on the Launch Podcast. And Preston's just an awesome leader who just put out his book, Disciple Leadership, such an amazing person. So I'm so grateful to talk to Holly because, you know, if, if you're friends with Preston, you're a pretty awesome leader. Yeah, I was just about to say the same. A friend of Preston is a friend of mine. So right? glad he connected us. I know. I know. I think that's a great thing. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. I know you have an amazing professional background where you've <laughs> been able to do so many things. Um, just tell us about it. Yes. So I actually started with the Coca-Cola company as a college intern and then moved to Atlanta, Georgia from Missouri after I graduated from college. And I had a 25 plus year career at the Coca-Cola company. I had a variety of roles. Uh, I worked in marketing. I worked in community affairs and I even worked in technical doing international business development for our Coca-Cola freestyle platform. So I love that part about working for a Fortune 100 company like Coca-Cola where You don't have to leave the company you love, but you can have a variety of different roles and continue to lean in and learn different skill sets and different aspects of the business. And so I did that for 25 years. In my mind, I always had a goal that after my 25-year anniversary, I was going to leave and do something else. I love the Coca-Cola company. I loved every minute I had there, but it's the only experience I've ever had since I started in college. And I just really wanted to have a different experience and take all the skill set and business acumen I've learned over the years and give it back in a different way in the marketplace. And so I left in November of last year. I jokingly said I was going to take a gap year because I went right from college to Coca-Cola Coca-Cola. That lasted about 60 days. And and then I've really been working, I think, since the beginning of February. And right now um, I have Coffee House Coaching, which is my own company. And I'm actually leaning in in a variety of ways. I'm actually doing business consulting for another Fortune 100 company. uh, And I do that about 20 hours a week. I have a couple uh, executives that I do leadership coaching for. And then I have also been doing doing some leadership speeches as well as podcasts. So it's been great, the variety of the things I've been able to do now that I own my own business. That's awesome. And congratulations on starting your business and Thanks. something new. Isn't that fun? And I think, 
you know, as I'm, I'm, I speak to a lot of high achievers, right. And it seems like as soon as you get to a point where you're like, Oh yeah, I've done that. I've gone to that next level. Now you want to try something else just to challenge yourself to see if you yes. can do it. And here you are doing it. So congratulations <laughs> on that, right? Thank you. Absolutely. So today we're talking about becoming a leader of leaders, just kind of explain why this is important. Yes. So particularly what I've seen in my time in corporate America is that people are in a position where they're really good at the functional skills of their job. And they then promote up that vertical and they become leaders of others doing that work. But just because they were good at the work doesn't mean they are good at leading other people. And it's not that they can't learn it. It's just something that we haven't typically taught. It's just not how we've promoted people. I definitely feel the culture was shifting in Coke. There was a lot of investment into leaders. But I think that's so critical to set people up for success as first-time people leaders. And so I just feel like it's a space where I had to navigate it. I learned a lot of really good skills and I just want to be able to share those with others. That's really awesome. And that is so exciting that you're able to use your experience and help other leaders who are probably kind of trying to navigate this new place, right? Because some leaders you know, they're really great at their job and then they get promoted and now they're leading other people and now they feel new again. They're like wondering, you know, what is it that I need to do? And now they have to develop all those skills as a leader. One of the things that I've been hearing over and over again is that it's really hard to lead others once you were like the expert in a specific area. So tell us a little bit about that challenge. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is the thing that maybe got you to where you are, the thing you're really good at is not what's going to make you get to the next level. And being a leader of others actually means letting go of some of the work and coaching from behind and helping remove barriers and setting vision for the team, but not necessarily doing the work. And so I think that's hard for people to step back. One, because having tangible work justifies versus helping other people be successful in their work, which is a little less tangible. So I think there's that component that is a challenge for new leaders. I also believe that they enjoy the work and they that's a go-to that they know, but they don't exactly know what they're supposed to show up and do every day now. And so I think there are some challenges in that and no one kind of formally helps you step back and be like, this is what a workday should look like for you now. Instead of, you know, spending three hours doing work, you should be spending an hour talking to this person on your team about what struggles they're having, what barriers do they need, go help them remove those barriers. And so it just looks different. And I don't know that we do a great job of helping new leaders see that. And they want to hold on to that work because it's comfortable and it's secure and it's what they know. Right. And it's actually the downside is, is it, it can be really disengaging for the team because they're like the employees or the team members are like, why, why are they doing my job? This is what I was hired to do. And so even if you think you're leaning in and helping the team, sometimes you're driving disengagement because people want to be accountable. They want to do their jobs well, and they don't want to be micromanaged. And so finding that balance 
of coaching from behind and empowering your team is a challenge for new leaders. One of the things that I've done in my companies with our team is have them track the tasks that they were doing and whether or not it should be something that they're doing that's like really important or urgent and kind of going through that matrix that I think it's Franklin Covey has of mm-hmm. you know, where we where we're putting our time. Did you do anything like that when you were working in corporate America to kind of figure out or help leaders see where they're spending their time and energy and whether or not that's the best use of time? Yeah, I love that example. I didn't actually do the Franklin Covey approach, but I definitely went through this period of time when I all of a sudden was managing a team of seven and multiple work streams that I started color coding my calendar to see where I was spending my time and how I was spending my time. And when I coach new leaders, that's one of the things that I tell them is to figure out a color coding system um, of how they are spending the time, whether it's in the work or whether it's coaching and what are the things that they're doing. And then, you know, where's the vision of where we want to go and how we should be spending our time. And then let's track our progress week to week and kind of just sum up the percentages of where we're spending our time at the end of each week. So similar approach, but I think that's just a really good tangible tool to help people as they navigate this. Otherwise it can just be so daunting, but that's a really simple tactic. Absolutely. And especially when you're a new leader and you're maybe overwhelmed by the projects or, or, you know, dealing with the people that are on the team and trying to figure out where to start, start by figuring out how am I going to manage my own time so that I can be most effective for my team and show up for them in the way that they need. And even leaving your, and and I don't know if you did this, but I like leaving yourself space for, for creative thinking or leaving yourself space for planning out your week or in those types of things, which doesn't come automatically, at least it doesn't because I want to be doing, 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 but planning time is almost more important than all the doing, because if you don't plan correctly, you're not going to know exactly what you're supposed to be doing or where you should be spending your time in order to be the most effective leader. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I found, you know, when you're a leader of a team, you get pulled into a lot of different meetings or people want to pop in and ask questions or run something by you. And so all of a sudden you might've had a plan for your day that gets completely blown up because you're reacting to the needs of your team as a leader, which is a good thing. But I did every week try to carve out like three hours on a Thursday afternoon as my sacred time for thought leadership. So people are looking for you to set the vision and have the big picture. And if you're just always reacting into the task and the crisis of the moment, you're not giving them what they need. You're not painting that clear destination for the team. And so I do think it's critical that you carve out time to do the thinking. And I would do it in big blocks of time like that because it is hard to switch from task, strategic thinking, task, strategic thinking. It's just, that's not really a formula for success. And so that you need that period of time where you can close your laptop, set your phone aside, sit in front of a whiteboard or whatever your preferred method is and do the thinking uninterrupted. Absolutely. I love that you you had that time too. So if somebody's listening right now and they're like, I need to schedule strategic thinking time. What are you talking about, Holly? Could you just kind of like simplify that process? Because we have all different levels of leaders that are listening right now. They might be right. an entrepreneur who is just brand new, or we might have executives leading huge corporations. It's kind of everything in between. So just kind of give us that picture of what it is that you you would do in the in those three hours and kind of the questions 
questions you might ask yourself? The role I actually had was super fun because it was solving the problems that were impeding our business performance. So I didn't have any like routinized work of, okay, it's time for annual planning. Like that was not my job at all. It was like, hey, this big thing over here is getting in our way. (laughs) Can we fix that? And so I think those times where we were focused, like where I'd have thought leadership time is like, what is the problem we're trying to solve? Where are we trying to go as an organization? What is that going to unlock for us? So what's the big unlock that's going to drive our business? And I think you always have to start there is what is the business outcome we're trying to achieve? What's the problem that we're trying to solve to get to the business outcome? What are the barriers in the way of that? What are some of the brainstormings of how we can solve that? And I always think when you start to get into that part, you want to pull in the team, you know, always better thinking in a brainstorming environment. So you might shape the problem and the vision and the tie it to the business. But then I think you need to bring others into the conversation and brainstorm the how you might get there and get buy-in on the vision, obviously. You want everyone to be bought into that. So I love that you say that in the brainstorming to really bring in the team and and get those ideas. I, I find that same thing happens when we can bring a team together and say, okay, here, like, here's, here's the thing. Here's the problem or the issue or the challenge that we're trying to overcome what are your ideas and just kind of throw it all out there without judgment, right? Yeah. Criticism and and create that safe place for the team to just throw out any idea, because it seems like when you start throwing out ideas, um, it it helps other people think of another thing and you never know. It could be a terrible, terrible idea. You might be thinking in your head, that's a terrible idea. You're facilitating this and you're going, that is horrible. But the next thing that comes could be the, the solution that you're looking for. And so being open to that experience. Yeah, I I feel like we've definitely shifted from a culture of top down where the leader comes with all the answers and tells everyone to go march. Like those days are over. Nobody wants to work in that kind of environment. Okay, maybe some people do, but the majority of people I know don't want to work in that type of environment. They want to be involved in the collaboration, the creativity and the thinking. And so we're much more in a place where a leader isn't expected to have all the answers. They're They're expected to invite people in and facilitate and help get to the best outcome via that process of collaboration. And I totally agree with you. Having people in the room is going to make a good idea, a great idea. And so it may be a bad idea, a great idea eventually, like you said in your example. Um, But I've just found the output of our work as a team is so much better when we bring different ways of thinking into it, different you know, I had a very diverse team. Uh, we all, some were super analytical and technical, others were very strategic. And you put us all in a room and we all had a very different point of view, but it provided a holistic brain approach to it. So it was really fun. That's amazing. And that's so exciting. So as you're becoming a leader of leaders, if you were going to give uh, our listeners like the first step to this process, because I know that it's, a, I mean, you do coaching on this, right? And yeah. It, and I, and I write books on this and I train on it. So I know, we know that this isn't just like a one and done type of thing. You can't, right. give, you can't necessarily give steps for how you're going to do all of it, but to just kind of simplify the process, what would be the first step that you would give to anybody who's listening? So anybody who is a new leader of people or even just inheriting a new team, I highly recommend you go on a 90 day listening tour. Listen more than you talk, ask questions, learn the business, 
Certainly, you're probably going to have to make some decisions because you are the leader. But what I said to the team is, I will make the decisions that are required to keep our business moving forward. But if we don't have to make them in these first 90 days, I prefer to build my brain so we make the best decision at the end of this 90-day period. And I just I don't think enough people do that as leaders. They come in, they want to make their imprint, they want to establish themselves as the authoritative voice. And I actually think that's the uh, wrong is the strong word, but the wrong approach. I actually feel like just really listening and trying to put all the pieces together because honestly, you can make a really bad decision when you only have part of the information, right? And so you you're making a partially informed decision, which might be more detrimental and hurt your reputation long-term. And I also have been on the side where someone comes in and they want to make their mark and they want to make a decision and they undo what you've been working on for months before they got there without a whole lot of understanding of everything that went into getting you there. Um, And that's really disengaging to team members. And you don't ever want to start off as a new leader disengaging your team. That was so good. That's like my job <laughs> moment. I, lo- I wish I would have known you when I was, I, I started, I was a board, um, I, I led a board and I wish I would have talked to you then, Holly, because I really screwed up. And I, oh, came, I, I know I, this I, like, because I screwed I, up before too. I really screwed this up. <laughs> Watch listeners. Allison really screwed this up when she was a new leader. I, th- I thought I, I had to go in there and I needed, I had this picture in my head of what a leader was, right? You go in and you take charge and you get things done and you do the things when the reality was I needed to do exactly what you said. I needed to go and I needed to build relationships. I needed to connect with people. I needed to listen a lot. I needed to ask thoughtful questions. I needed to learn, right? It's kind of like you're getting your education in whatever that role is or whatever that business is that you're doing. And you do it by having tons of conversations and being really open uh, to listening. And you're going to hear good things and you're going to hear not so good things. And you're going to hear everything in between. And you just kind of have to piece it all together and try to make sense of it for yourself and how you want to bring your strengths and abilities into that situation. The flip side is don't be the leader, though, that never makes a decision. Those people are frustrating <laughs> also. So at the end of that 90 days, you better be ready to pull the trigger on some decisions. Um, otherwise, you just create an environment of ambiguity and just people feeling stuck like they can't move things forward. And so it is a delicate balance because the things you said are people are looking to you for a point of view. People are looking for you to be the voice but let's make sure we're informed before we step into that role. Absolutely. So how would you say if, if a new leader is trying to maybe make a change because they see that is like, as they have the conversations, they're done with their 90 days and they're like, this is the one thing that I know will really change the trajectory of the work that we're doing. And mm-hmm. it's a hard thing that you need to do. What would you say is the best route to making that change happen or making that decision, even if it might be a hard one? Yeah, I think a lot of times uh, as leaders, we tend to tell people what they need to go do and we don't explain the why or the context. And I'm a big believer in the context and understanding how it impacts impacts the business. And so I know that my old team at Coke would 
would comment about, yes, we have to give Holly her context. But it's true. Like if you can understand the why behind something, it's easier to get on board with the change versus coming in and being like, hey, I've been listening for 90 days and this is what we need to go do. Now, I've been listening for 90 days and the way we're going to grow our business or drive productivity is because we're going to do these things. So giving people the really the rationale behind things, I think is really important as a leader and not just so they understand it in the moment, but that is also your role as the leader is to develop the team. So you need to start helping um, broaden their aperture into seeing the macro and not just their work stream or their silo. Seeing the big picture, the vision for what it is that you're trying to accomplish sometimes is hard if you're stuck in the day-to-day routine of doing the tasks or working on the project. And so how do you help in, in teams really help them expand their vision? Is, just, is it context? Is it bringing it back to that strategic vision on a regular basis? Is it reminding them in meetings? Like, What are the things that you found were strategies that were successful? Yeah, I think as the leader of the team, um, you need to work with the team at the beginning of each planning cycle to develop your strategic objectives and make sure those ladder up to the uh, overall business objectives. And then as work comes up or work evolves and changes, you need to check yourself against, do these still ladder up to our primary objectives? Because sometimes you start out on a task and it seems very much like it's aligned to the business objectives. And then somewhere in the process, dynamics change, variables change, and you've taken a left turn. But now you're just in this mode of completing the project when really you should stop and assess, like, does this still matter to the business? Is this still a priority? If I have these eight things to deliver, which one's actually the, you know, and I can only deliver six, which two should go because they're not driving the biggest business outcome. And so I do think there's a component of, we had monthly check-ins, two way feedback every month uh, where we talked about the work and then gave feedback up and feedback. Like they had the opportunity to give me any feedback of anything they wanted to say to me and I would do the same, but we'd also spend part of that time on the work and is it still the right priority for where we are in the business today? I think it's a very different culture than like five or six years ago where you would write your annual objectives and then you'd have a six month check-in and then you'd get measured on them at the end of the year and you're like, what the heck? That doesn't even like that whole project got wiped out because it didn't matter. And yet I'm being evaluated against it. And so we moved to much more of a adaptive state where every month we just checked in on, is this still the work that matters most in this moment? I was going to use the word agile, but it's so overused in business. (laughs) It started out as a technical term for how to build something in a technical world. And now we just use it all the time. Oh, we're going to be agile. (laughs) Right. I know. But it's, it's an important question that we as leaders or business owners can ask ourselves is does what the work that I'm doing, is this, is this really what it, what I need to be doing or not? And be okay to change it, right? Yeah. Like it, as you evaluate it and as you have conversations with your team and you find out that maybe that's not the best place. I, I know in our businesses, we'll have, we'll sit down and we'll be like, okay, we see this strategy or this service for our financial planning firm. We see this is the thing, the next thing that we need to work on. And then you try it out and you see if it works. And if it doesn't work, it's okay to change it and say, nope, actually yeah. we're fine. Our feedback is showing us this. What happens a lot of times, and I'm sure that you've seen this too, is people get so stuck on that idea that they they refuse to change and then they keep going down the path and now they're spinning their wheels and they're frustrated Mm -hmm. because they've 
they keep doing the, the wrong thing for too long, right? And they've yeah. lost money, time, and energy into it. You're exactly right. And then I think the other thing that gets us boxed into continuing to do the work is because that's what my job description says I'm supposed to do versus evolving the job description to meet the business need. And I think that's another thing we are challenged with sometimes in corporate America, because having job descriptions is important because we don't operate well in ambiguity, but then adapting those, evolving those as the work changes sometimes trips us up a little bit. One of my favorite moments, great leadership lesson for me is I had a leader who basically brought us all in the room for annual planning and said, I don't care what brand you manage. I don't care what customer you call on. We're going to go find the five to seven things that drive our business. And we're going to rally around those. I mean, just broke down every silo. And I loved it. I mean, we over-delivered our plan, but it was such a radical way of thinking at that point in time in a Fortune 100 company where everything's very structured. I know, Holly, that in your professional life and your personal life, you have done things to launch to the next level. And that's one of the questions we ask all of our launch leaders. What are two to three things that you've done in your life to go to that next level? So the first one is a curiosity to learn. I stayed at the same company for 25 years. And I think that some people think that that's because I like the comfort and the security. Um, But I had nine or 10 different jobs in those 25 years and moved from marketing to community affairs to technical, which were way out of my comfort zone. So it's this curiosity to always learn and grow. So that's the one thing um, as leaders, I think you need to continue to grow and invest in learning new skills. And the other thing was just taking a a risk, like um, walking out those doors after 25 years uh, you know, I've never, and now COVID, I've never been to another office until about a month ago in my entire life. <laughs> so it was just being willing to take the risk and believe in myself um, that I had something to offer. Yes, that is what we're all about is helping people believe in themselves so that they can go launch in their lives. So thank you for saying that, Holly, because yeah. I think as high achievers too, you know, we're always looking for that next challenge. We're always looking for that next opportunity. We're always chasing that next goal. But if you don't believe that you can do it, it's going to make it really, really hard. Right. And so being able to believe in yourself and then also the curiosity to learn really, it it complements that perfectly. Right. Because now you just go and you figure out what it is that you want to go after and you learn about it and you ask questions and you find the answers in order to go to that next level. What's your favorite book? Gosh, I'm going to stay in the nonfiction realm since this is um, yeah, right? since this is a, a business call. But one of the books I read recently, there's probably a little recency effect in this, but it was just such a good book was called Switch. And it's a great leadership book. It talks about managing the emotions of the team, how to move people down the path. Um, it's a really good book. So I, I would definitely recommend that. Lovely. Awesome. Well, Holly, I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How do people get a hold of you? Yes. So you can find me at Holly Mattingly on LinkedIn and connect with me that way. Or you can also go to my webpage, which is thecoffeehousecoach.com. My email is holly at thecoffeehousecoach.com. And the one thing that we missed, as you're saying, the coffee house coach is mm-hmm. where did you used to work all the time? And why is it the coffee? Uh, house? Yeah. So, well, it's kind of a funny story in that when I moved into my last role at Coca-Cola, um, I didn't really like my office very much. And, and so I tended to park myself in our coffee shop at the building and everyone just kind of knew to find me in the coffee shop or they'd text me and be like, hey, are you in the coffee shop? And so, and I just found that that atmosphere created 
created more of an informality. And so it lended itself to having just really great dialogue and conversations and connecting with people on a deeper level than, you know, and allowing them to be vulnerable uh, across, you know, a table over a cup of coffee versus across a desk that feels very formal. And so it just... It's how it came to be. So I love it started it. I, out I like as kind of a joke. Coffee houses too. So when I read that, I was like, ah, oh, yes, yeah. I see why yeah. she did that. It is. It's just yeah. It's, it's just it creates. I think I have more of an informal brand. Like yes, I have a lot of leadership skills, but I'd rather just have a conversation over a cup of coffee. <laughs> Absolutely, it's very. It's a great connection with others, and you can connect with them in that way. So thanks for sharing that. To all of our listeners, I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved Holly as much as I did, and you got as much out of this episode as I did, make sure you share it with people in your life or your colleagues or your teammates, because we all want to become a leader of leaders to inspire and empower the people that we lead. And I know that Holly was definitely one of those leaders. So thanks again, Holly. And thank you. I will see you next time. Bye guys. Thank you for listening to the launch podcast. I'm Allison Little, and I'm so excited that you spent your time with me. Look for future episodes and connect with me on social media or at my website at www.allisonlittle.com. 